Well, good morning. The few, the proud today, everybody's spring break is a little thin, so, or maybe you're all watching online, and if that's what you're doing, we're so glad that you are here. So I have a question for you this morning. How many of you are runners? Raise your hand. You love to run. You find that to be the best thing. Okay, how many of you would rather have a root canal than go for a run? All right, yeah? So, uh, so I tried running for a little while. Running is not my favorite sport, not the thing I love to do, but uh, I, I'm a cancer survivor. Many of you know that. And so uh, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society actually puts together groups of people or teams that go run in races. And I thought, you know, I'll raise money for the society as a way to pay it back for everything. And so I signed up to run a half marathon. Now, what you need to know about me is when I signed up to run the half marathon, I went out for it. I thought, I'm just going to go see how far I can actually run. I made it two blocks. And then I was like, it's time to walk. So I went to this and I'm like, I am not a runner. I don't really like running. I'll I throw a ball. I'm like a dog, throw a ball. I'll go catch the ball. We can, we can play all kinds of sports all day long. What I realized very quickly is running requires an incredible amount of discipline. You have to eat right. You have to sleep right. You have to get the right gear. You have to make the training days every day you're going out. And often you're going out by yourself. So my training plan for the half marathon was pretty much don't run Monday through Friday. Go on the long runs with the team on Saturday. And then try to And then by the end, I got to like one or two short runs throughout the week. It was just painful. I'm also the only guy who probably finished a half marathon and gained 15 pounds in the training process. It's fantastic. But all of that running, it takes a level of commitment, but really the goal when you go out to run, and this was the other thing I struggled with, you're not going to win the race, right? When I showed up 23,000 runners to run the rock and roll marathon, half marathon in St. Louis, I was not going to win. I knew that. 23,000 people not going to win. And so I think, though, that's the heart of the author in Hebrews chapter 12. It's not necessarily about winning. It's about the accomplishment of running the race. It's about measuring how you improve along the way, and it's about getting to the finish line. That's a huge piece of it. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and pull those out. Open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, YouVersion Bible app will take you right there, and you can find the notes and follow along if you want by looking up Great Oaks Community Church in the events section down below. If this is your first week with us in a while or your first week with us ever, we're in the middle of this like second part of Hebrews. We did, we've been in Hebrews for seven weeks. The first six weeks we did a series we called GOAT, uh, where we looked at Jesus as the greatest of all time. He was the greatest priest of all time. He was greater than Moses. He was greater than angels, greater than the law. And because of all these things, he provided us with the greatest rest of all time. But last week, we kind of turn the page in Hebrews and we get from these deep theological studies of who Jesus is in the Old Testament into how we live in response to that. And so we're in week two of our MVP series where we're looking at what it means to be the most valuable player on Jesus' team. And so last week, we discovered that the most valuable player lives by faith in the in-between. 
The already, Jesus has already accomplished all this and we haven't experienced yet because heaven hasn't come or Jesus hasn't returned. So we're living in this in-between. And this week, as we turn to chapter 12, we see that being the MVP means enduring the race for the mission of the gospel. If we're going to be an MVP on Jesus' team, we have to endure the race for the mission of the gospel. Let's take a look at Hebrews 12 and see exactly what that means. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, discarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are, not, you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to recognize the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. If our goal as an MVP is to endure the race for the sake of the mission, how do we do that? I think the author of Hebrews gives us five disciplines that we need to embrace if we're going to run this race. If we're going to run it well, we're going to get to the finish line. Remember, it's not about winning. It's not about beating the person who's next to you in the chair. You're not, you're not competing against them. You're actually competing with them. And our goal is to get to the finish line. So how do we get to the finish line? The first thing the author of Hebrews says is you have to remove distractions. We have to learn that if we're going to run this race 
and endure to the end, we have to remove the weight that slows us down. And this might be the hardest part of living life as a follower of Jesus. Because we have to choose between the good thing and the great thing. Right? We're going to get to choosing between the good thing and the bad thing in just a minute. But we have to choose between the good thing and the great thing. And we live in a world and a place where opportunities abound. We have resources and ability and time to do almost anything we want. But the author is reminding us we need to wrestle with the things that fill our time. You see, it's kind of like this vest. I got this vest as a birthday present when I was in shape. And it was great. So you can put it on and you just wear it. It's, it's pretty comfortable to wear like this. It doesn't have a whole lot in it. It doesn't zip up super great. But you can put it on and you can wear it. And life is good. But then I start thinking about the things that take up my time. How am I going to spend my time this week? And each one of those things adds, not a lot, but just a little bit of weight to the vest. I'm going to go to the gym and work out, right? That's why I bought the vest, so I've got, to, I've got to do that. I've got my adult sports leagues that are going to take up some of my time. My boss asked me if I could come to that meeting this weekend. So I'll, I'll give up a little time with the family to do that. And then, you know, we got the kids' sporting stuff, so I got that going on. And all of a sudden, we start just adding things. Oh, there's the neighborhood association meeting. I don't want, I don't want my neighbors to think bad about me. So I'll attend the neighborhood association meeting. And then there's that, oh, oh yeah, there's that. I got my fantasy football league. I got to get ready for baseball, whatever it is. And we start just adding weight to this, right? And none of those things is bad. Nobody's going to look at you and be like, it's a really bad thing that you're in your neighborhood association. It's a really bad thing that you care about these types of things. And it's not bad if your boss says, hey, would you stay after work? And you're like, oh yeah, sure, I'll stay late today. It becomes bad when all of a sudden we are not in charge of our priorities anymore. When instead of the exception to the rule, they become the regular thing. And I can walk around in this for a few minutes. I do not want to run a half marathon in this, in this vest right now. One, it's really top heavy. It needs something to pull it back. But it's, you're not going to wear this thing for a long time. And we've still got more weight we could add. And each and every one of you can keep adding those things to our lives. But when we keep adding those things, we get out of balance. And when we get out of balance, it's really hard to run this race of endurance that we've been called to. You see, this first set of disciplines is about our priorities. When was the last time we were intentional about sitting down and thinking through how we're spending our time. Who gets the first chunk? Who gets the biggest chunk? How do we wrestle through that? Because if this is about our mission, then how is the way we spend our time drawing us closer to Jesus? Or is the way we're spending our time pulling us further away from Jesus? Is the way our lives are prioritized right now creating opportunities for us to share the gospel, to tell others about who Jesus is, to live in a way that brings him glory? You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment is you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and this is the first and greatest. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So if we're going to run this race with our mission in the front of our minds, we have to prioritize our lives around the things that distract us. What's that look like? Can you give me an example, Jason? That would be helpful. So we talk all the time about life groups, right? You need to be in a life group. You need to be in community. We'll get to that. That's actually coming in point five. You're on a team. So we need to, we need to live in this community. And everybody goes, oh, I would love to be in a life group. But you know, I've got kids' sports, and I've got this commitment and this commitment, and I just can't give up one more night, right? Anybody, anybody brave enough to raise your hand and be like, that's me? That's me. I get it. What if we said, we're actually going to live this life on mission, and that means I have to figure this out? What if it meant you didn't have to give up one more night? What if you gathered the parents at your kid's sporting event who were there for an hour, hour and a half and said, hey, anybody want to talk about Jesus? Instead of just sitting here on our phones giving up an hour, hour and a half or instead of trying to figure out, well, how am I going to tell my kid that they can't play soccer anymore? Right? That's not going to work. What if we began to think about how we use that time? What if we began to look at how could we do that differently on mission, on the mission we've been called to? This life is not easy. We're called to endure. We're called to wrestle through. And that means we have to think. The easy thing is to be like, oh, well, I'll just cut this out, and then I'll be able to live on mission. That's not what God asks us to do. We're asked to think about how we're going to do those things. The second discipline we have to do is we have to throw off sin. He says, take off the thing that weighs you down and strip off the sin that so easily entangles you. You see, different from that burden that of our busy schedules, of our lack of priorities, sin's the thing that trips us up. Now, I don't want you to miss this. And I hope there's a nurse in the audience because I might kill myself today, Right? So there's this, this is a little band you can put around your foot. See how this goes? Front row's really nervous for me right now. They're like talking to themselves. All right. So here you go. Who's ready to run? Right. You can, I mean, I can kind of take some steps. I'm not going to run on this stage. I will fall down and hurt myself. Right. But we can walk around like this for a little while. Again, this life is not a sprint. And the truth is, church, when we sit with unconfessed sin and we sit with our priorities out of balance, we look this silly running the race. We're so tired. I don't know if I'll do this second service. I'm going to be tired, right? Like this is, but this is what it, this is literally when we have sin in our life that we're like, you know what? I just like that. My favorite story is in the Old Testament. I think I might have told you this already. If I did, I'm sorry. It's only been four months. We're already repeating illustrations. That's really bad. Moses goes to Pharaoh, right? The Egyptians are slaves in Israel. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, if you don't let my people go, God is going to send a plague of frogs. And Pharaoh goes, okay. Send the frogs. I'm not letting your people go. They're the reason I'm in power. You're not, your people are not going free. And so God sends frogs. And frogs are everywhere all throughout Egypt. 
They're like in the pillow. Like, can you imagine laying down, pull back your cover, your bed is covered in frogs. They're everywhere. And Pharaoh's like, I've had enough. These frogs have to go. Where's Moses? So he brings Moses in. He's like, you've got to get rid of the frogs. And so Moses says, well, let me see what God says. And God says, if you let my people go, I'll get rid of the frogs. And Pharaoh goes, okay, fine. I'll, get, I'll let them go. And Moses says, okay, God agrees. When would you like the frogs to go? Well, that's a no-brainer. If I have to pull back my covers and there are frogs in my bed, there are frogs on my pillow that like ribbit, 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 ribbit in my ear, I want those frogs gone now. Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Take the frogs away tomorrow. Because we like our sin. We've gotten used to it. We like the prideful things we do. We'd never admit that. But God, I'm not ready to give it up yet. I can, I can do this. I can walk. I can do this for a little while. The author of Hebrews says no. Take it off. You see, church, we're never going to live the life God's called us to live until we take those things off. We're going to miss the mark. God says, if you'll come and you'll confess to me, I will forgive you. You can run the race this way, but you're not going to get to the finish line and you're going to miss a lot of the things that God has for you. But we confess our sins because of what the author of Hebrews has told us God has done on the cross. Our legs are free to move. When we set our priorities the way God says to set your priorities, free. It's so much easier to live life this way. God says, all I want is the best for you. All I want is what's best for you. When we remove our burdens, when we strip off the sin, we're free to run the race God has designed us to run. We're free to run like an MVP who is set on enduring the race for the mission of the gospel. And when we take those things off, it's so much easier to do discipline number three, which is to fix our eyes on Jesus. This has been the author's point the entire way through the book of Hebrews. He's continually taught these Hebrew Christians who are like looking backwards at the law, looking back at the Old Testament, looking back at the things they've thought about or their heritage and who they are and been like, maybe we should just go back. Maybe we should just go back. And he's like, no, fix your eyes on Jesus and see that he's so much greater than anything else you've ever experienced. When I ran my half marathon, I had a running partner We'd run all of our training runs together. She was fantastic. She like passed me on the first day as we made the turn at the mile mark and I was already walking back because I wasn't quite ready to run a mile yet. And she's like, come on, it's all, it's all downhill. We've got to run the downhills. So we became running partners and she ate something different that day and got sick at like mile three. So she's gone. So I'm running. And at like mile eight to mile 11, it's pretty much uphill. And I remember thinking my feet hurt my lungs hurt, I'm tired, I'm out here all by myself. They said there was going to be music at every mile, and I don't remember the last time I heard a band, so it's taken me a long time to get through this mile. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice in the back of my, coming from behind me. 
And it yells, you better run, Roten. You better run. And I was like, I know that voice. And I turned around and it was my boss. She was a huge endurance athlete and she ran beside me and she goes, come on, you can do this. You can finish this race. And she passed me. And I remember I kept my eyes focused on Debbie. And I was watching her because I wanted, if I could keep her in my sight, I knew I had somebody to run with, somebody to follow after, somebody when I was tired that I could keep moving towards. And I never lost sight of her until I passed her at the finish line. But is that the way it is? When life is hard, there are going to be times as we are followers of Jesus that life gets hard. And the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember the cross. Remember his suffering. Remember the way he went about it. Remember his obedience to what God asked him to do. Remember the joy he experienced when he sat down at the right hand of the Father. When we need encouragement in this life, we look to the cross and we remember what Jesus has done for us. But we look to the tomb and we remember the life that waits ahead of us because Jesus conquered death, because Jesus walked out of the tomb. We fix our eyes on who he is. This is a growing process though, right? It's something we get better at as we walk through. There's going to be things all through the course of life that distract us. In my half marathon, what distracted me was this guy at mile 11 and a half who had a siren going and beer. He's passing out beer, and I thought, ooh, no, no, this is not the time. Just keep my eye. Where's Debbie? Where's, where's Debbie? I need my eyes focused, right? It's not the time. At mile 11 and a half, when you got 13 miles, is not the time. We keep our eyes focused not on the distractions. We think we're missing out when we see those things off the side. We think we're missing out on something fun. But what we're really missing out on is frogs in our bed. We're missing out on the things that are going to pull us away from Jesus, that pull us away from the cross. And so as we learn to follow Jesus, we take that next step. It's why here at Great Oaks, our mission statement is helping people take their next step towards Jesus. Helping people take their next step towards Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you're still breathing oxygen, your race isn't done. And you have a next step to take. You have a next step in what it looks like to follow Jesus. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. You've got a next step. I don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes. You have a next step. We have to keep growing. And we do that. No one has arrived. We endure this race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we endure this race remembering that we are God's kids. You know that? You are God's sons and daughters. Now this is delicate, right? Because we look at this and even the, Hebrews, the Hebrew author says, you know, like your parents disciplined you. And for some of us, that's, those are good things. We didn't like the discipline we were going through at the time, but we can look back on it now and say that was a good thing. 
But for others, that brings up real scars because it wasn't a good thing. Because that discipline wasn't used to help us grow, it was used to inflict pain. And so if that's you here this morning, I want you to know that's not the way God wants to discipline you. God loved you enough to die for you. God's discipline is always good. It's always for our good. It's not necessarily easy, but it's always for our good. The other thing that gets tricky is maybe you've been in one of those places where you feel like life's not going so well and you're struggling a little bit and you're not sure why you're struggling. Somebody walks up to you and goes, well, you know, it's probably that sin you haven't confessed. Like, excuse me? I don't think you get to call that out in my life. Right? Maybe if we saw it, you could say, hey, I I saw this. But it's not our role when someone's in the midst of a struggle or a hard time to walk in and be like, hey, you know, if you just confess that sin, this would end. Read the book of Job in the Old Testament, 40-some chapters about Job's friends who thought they knew what was going on and didn't get it. But the truth is there are times in our lives and in our relationship with God when we're going to endure discipline. It's not going to be fun. And if you're a parent, you know what this looks like, right? But it's for our good. So you guys might think I'm just an awful parent. But when Josiah was four years old, he loved to have temper tantrums. He'd just throw himself down, kick, hit, punch, you, whatever he could get his hands on, he would just kick. And we're like, this has to end. Like, he kicked Corey a couple times, he kicked me, that never works out good, I'm much bigger than you are at four years old, don't kick me. And so we told him, he loved Thomas the Train. So we told him, we said, listen buddy, we've tried everything we know how to try. If you throw another fit, you are going to lose Thomas the Train forever. And we thought, this is going to work. He doesn't want to lose Thomas. It's going to be great. My, life, my wife left for school on a Thursday morning. Josiah didn't want to finish breakfast or something. I know we were at the breakfast table. That's all I know. He flops himself down on the bench, kicks me. Upstairs, time out, sit down. When you come back, bring me Thomas. And he goes upstairs, and I called him back down, and I said, where's Thomas? He hands him to me. I said, when do I get him back? And I said, you don't. We told you. He didn't stop throwing fits. Thomas was gone forever. And I watched this four-year-old boy melt at my feet in utter tears. Like, grabbed both legs, crying, Dad, don't do this to me! And I put Thomas in the silverware drawer because I wasn't sure what to do with Thomas at that point. We hadn't figured out what the next step was, so Thomas goes in the silverware drawer, right? Thomas got wrapped up that year for Christmas and given to his cousin. I will never forget that moment. And Josiah, I know, never forgot that moment because two years later, my mom sent him $15 for Valentine's Day. And he walked up to me and he said, Dad, Thomas is only 12. (laughs) And we said, you can buy Thomas. 
discipline is painful. But it's necessary. It helps us grow. There are going to be times when we miss the mark. That sin that wraps itself around our legs misses the mark. Hebrews chapter 12 says, But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I can tell you this, Josiah never threw another fit. It's hard. But you can't be 40 years old and flopping yourself on the ground throwing fits, right? Like it doesn't work. We've got to endure that training. God's doing the same thing for us. He just wants us to grow, to be more like him. C.S. Lewis says it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We get that, right? We don't always listen the first time. I want my kids to listen the first time. But you know why my kids don't listen the first time? Because their dad never listened the first time. And I didn't listen the second time. Sometimes we don't listen the third time. So God says, I'll make sure you hear me. It's not about being mean. It's not about being cruel. It's not about being harsh. It's about helping us grow. It's about a process. Every one of the people we read about last week in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you weren't here, go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. Every one of those people were God's kids. And every one of those people missed the mark. And you can read their stories all throughout the pages of Scripture And you can see how God disciplined them for their good. Being an MVP means enduring the race for the mission of the gospel. And the fifth discipline we have to learn is we are running as a team. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Work at living at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We talk about all the time how we live on a team, how we're on a team. We are each other's companions in that race. We should be fighting for peace with each other. We should be working to restore broken relationships. We need to be good teammates that lift each other up, that encourage each other. This has been a theme all the way through the book of Hebrews. You can't do this on your own. We're a team. But the author adds a little bit different spin this time. He reminds us that because we live in community, we have a responsibility to each other. And that the sin that so easily entangles us will have an effect on others in the community. You know, I think we convince ourselves sometimes that my sin, my pride, my arrogance, my lust, my gluttony, all those things, those are just between me and God. But I don't think you have to look very hard or very deep in the news today to find wounds that many have suffered at the hands of the church. Those issues are making front page headlines all over our newspaper. And if you're on Twitter, they're one tweet after another. 
The truth is that our sin, no matter how individually we may feel it is, has an effect on our community. It has an effect on our team. If we look at a very personal level, I'm sure that each one of us has a good example of how someone else's sin or someone else's mistake has impacted our faith. For good or for bad. Maybe for bad in the time, but we can see how that impact has grown us now, but it wasn't fun then. And maybe the harder thing to think about is how have our mistakes, how has our sin impacted the faith of someone else? You see, bitterness is polarizing the world we live in. And unfortunately, Churches and communities of faith are not handling our bitterness much better than those outside the church. And the result is, instead of achieving our mission of making disciples, we're actually pushing people away. I think the greatest thing the church has to offer people is a sense of community and belonging. And there's no greater place to find that community than in a place of worship, than in a church where we worship together, we serve next to each other, and we grow in our relationship with Jesus together. Yet that can so easily be destroyed by bitterness and unconfessed sin. Now, what I don't want anybody to do is leave this place today and feel like, oh man, I'm a failure. I've got this thing that's messing me up and I can't, run my, I can't run my race of faith and now I'm ruining somebody else's. That shame, that guilt, that's not grace. If that's where you are today, all you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the junk that's in my life. I'm sorry for the ways I've messed it up. And God doesn't look and go, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll forgive. God runs to you. He'll wrap his arms around you and he will say, you are forgiven. Let's take off that sin that's tying you down, that's holding you down. And don't worry, I'm bigger than your mistakes. I can work in the lives of those around you. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the message we're called to proclaim. So don't walk out of here feeling guilty or ashamed. Walk out of here knowing you're forgiven if you're willing to ask. All you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. Being an MVP means enduring the race for the mission of the gospel. As followers of Jesus, this life we're called to is not easy. It's an endurance race. Nobody says, I'm going to run a marathon, and everybody goes, oh, that'll be easy. It's an endurance race that lasts as long as our life lives here. There are going to be mountaintop moments along the way. We're going to see amazing things. We're going to sit back in awe at God's wonder, at the way he provides, at the things he does. But along the way of that race, there's going to be some hills to climb. There's going to be some struggles to walk through. But know that if we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, learn to remove our distractions, to throw off our sin, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to remember we're God's kids and remember and to run as a team. We'll make it to the end and we'll live out that mission we've been called to.
Jesus gave it to his disciples. Go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing, baptizing them in my name, in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit. That's our mission, church. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so we can endure this race, get to the end, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Who's ready to be an MVP? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace in each and every one of our lives because we don't ever do this perfectly. We don't ever do it exactly the way we're supposed to. We know all the commands, but oftentimes we're just like Pharaoh and we just want one no more night with our frogs. But God, we're thankful. Thankful that you are so full of grace and love and forgiveness. God, give us the strength that we need to be disciplined in our running. That we can bring you honor and glory and that your mission in this place can be furthered because of your work in our lives. Thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible. And God, may we listen to your Holy Spirit that's speaking to us. And may we rely on his strength and not our own. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.